Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 is where we're going to start today. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Um, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love Jesus's interaction with the disciples. Um, Very, it's just awesome to read so many interactions. Um, You know, recently they came up with that program about Jesus, and I can't think for the life of me what the name is, The Chosen. And uh, it's kind of like a a, a really neat uh, representation of Jesus interacting with um, a, a group of guys, the disciples in this case, and um, I've always enjoyed uh, just the simple, practical narrative of dealing with normal people, normal guys, not religious folk, just normal guys, and trying to help them to become everything that they were destined to become. And their responses, you know, it's not like he tried to whitewash everything. You know, we're masters as people, humans, Christians. We like to whitewash stuff. We, might, we like to make everything look like we got it all together, like we're, um, you know, we don't have those internal struggles. We're good at putting on a, a mask. Um, you know, all of those, not the physical mask, you know what I mean. It's masks, whatever. But we put on a front, we put on a facade oftentimes, we put on a, 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 an image that isn't necessarily who we are or where we are in our journey. And I want to encourage you today that as Jesus interacted with these disciples, he knew from the get-go that they weren't perfect. He knew that they, he knew he had a long road ahead of him. He knew that he was going to have to work overtime with these guys. He knew that they had issues. And when you gave your life to Jesus, trust me, he knew you had stuff going on. He knew you had issues to deal with. He knew that it was an uphill road. For some of us, it was even steeper than others. But uh, he knew ahead of time. So when you feel like you're the worst that there is, or that your mess is a lot worse than the next guy's mess, I want to encourage you that Jesus has got you too. He's got you. And his promise is that he's going to make something beautiful out of your life. That's his promise. So he didn't say, there's going to be this group, you know, that will come through that I'm going to have to put them off in a side spot because they're going to be a lot more difficult. 
There is no difficult for him. Every situation, every failure, every arrogant, prideful notion that we have, he's got it. He knows how to break through all of the facades. He knows how to break down all of the stuff that that we shroud ourselves in so that we can't be who He's created us to be. And He's in the process. Every situation that you face is an opportunity for God to break through our mess, get down into the brass tacks, and help us to become the people that He's called and chosen and created us to be. So if you feel like you're going through the ringer right now, God's making something beautiful out of your life. If you feel like it's way harder than it was last week, don't don't worry too much because when you get done, He's going to make something beautiful out of that mess that you're in. Don't be freaked out what anybody's thinking about you, what what they're looking at you like. It really doesn't matter. Because when you come through it, he said you'll be tried like pure gold, refined, made in his likeness and image. So let it come. Amen. Let life happen. Let God do his thing because he's making something beautiful out of your life. I like to say, I preached a message one time and I said that the title of it was, you're amazing. Amazing you is what it was. Because I think that in general, People don't think they're amazing. In general, we have a tendency to think the worst of ourselves. We're terrible at comparing ourselves to the people around us. And we say, well, they're a way better dad than I'll ever be. Or they do so much cool stuff with their kids. And oh, I'm just a train wreck as a mom. I don't do it right. It's all lies. You're an amazing mom. You're an amazing mom. Even if you are a train wreck, you're an amazing mom. Amen. Amen. Shout now. So Jesus came into a group, chose, he chose a group of people that were train wrecks, basically. He knew it. Chose them on purpose. He knew that when he did amazing and beautiful things in their life that they would stick out in the crowd. He didn't choose the most likely to succeed. He chose the tax collector, whom even today we have a hard time with the tax collector. Amen? If you're a tax collector, God bless you. You're an amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> Jesus chose them individually. Jesus brought the disciples close and he loved them. The intimacy and the personal, no, the personal interaction with humanity is amazing to watch to me. It's amazing to read it. It's like as you read it, the Holy Spirit brings it to life from the page of that sincere devotion to his creation. He humbled himself, came from heaven, took on the form of a man and inserted himself in our journey so that we could be everything that he's designed us to be. God, or Jesus brought the disciples close and he loved them. He breathed life into them. 
You know, it's amazing how oftentimes that we can look at people through the negative. You know, have you ever gone to the, to the fair maybe and, and, and uh, they do these drawings, they call them a caricature, and they draw this picture of a person and they take every negative trait or they feel every negative trait and expand it like a hundred times. I have a kind of a long, narrow nose. They would make my nose even longer than it is. I have a great set of ears on me. I'd have some big old ears sticking out in that caricature. Because they take those traits that stick out and they just expand them. And so oftentimes we see the negative things about people and we draw out those negative things. I'm going to ask you today that we would transition our thinking and we would take a glimpse at what Jesus was doing with his disciples. And I want us to begin to do that with the people that we interact with every day. So you have people at work that are not very easy to get along with, possibly. You have people that are constantly drawing the negative image maybe of you. So I'm asking us today to take a new look at our surroundings. And I'm asking God to open the eyes of our understanding so that we could see what's going on below the surface. If we're in agreement that humanity has a tendency to wear a facade or a mask, we oftentimes need to assume that what we're seeing from a person isn't necessarily who they really are inside. That angry person that's lashing out, trying to stay in charge as best as possible, or whatever that case may be, you don't know the battle that they're going through. You don't know the road that they've walked in to get into the frame of mind that they're in right now. And I'm asking as the body of Christ that we would step back and take another look and ask or invite the Holy Spirit into that moment to say, God, what's really going on here? What's really going on here? What have they been through? What have they just heard about themselves? Or what have they just heard about a, a family member? Or what news have they just gotten that's altered their ability to be kind and gentle in this moment? God has information that we need. It's kind of like the CIA. He's got information that we need. And if we would pause for a moment, a lot of times God will just simply drop information into our heart that will give us the information that we need to look at that situation the way he's looking at that situation. Our human tendency is to take offense quickly, bow up, want to fight. I never really was a fighter, probably would get beat. I'd throw the wrong punch and they'd get me under the chin or something like that. Our natural tendency is to fight. But Jesus took this crew. He re redirected their energy and their effort. He clarified their purpose. Talked them through their stuff. 
And he helped them get focused on the road ahead. Jesus empowered them to accomplish that purpose. And then Jesus gave them authority to do, to do amazing things. And he sent them into the marketplace. Most of us, God has sent into the marketplace. Amen? We're just out there. Out there. Working. Doing it every day. Helping. Serving. Doing our job. Sometimes surviving. Because it can get a little chaotic. It's been a couple, couple years of chaos. Amen? It's been tough out there. It's tough right now. Some of you are facing battles that you never thought you'd have to face. Decisions that you never thought you'd have to, to deal with. But I want you to know something. You're making a difference. You're making a difference. God's empowered you to make a difference. And no matter what you feel like, no matter what it looks like, God's equipping you He's inserting in you the information that you need or exposing you to the information that you need to make a difference in the marketplace. Not only has he equipped you, but he's given you the authority, his authority. You're not just going on your own. You're going as a representation or an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's given you authority, he's commissioned you, us, and he's released us into the marketplace. So today I want to talk about making a difference. Whatever gift you have been given, whatever strength that you have, in spite of your weaknesses, God has uniquely handcrafted you to make a difference. Oftentimes, we again, will look at our negative traits and we will, we will say that we can't make a difference. I want to challenge you today with the idea or the thought that God has handcrafted you. He's uniquely designed you with giftings that will help you to accomplish the mission that he has for your life journey. You say, well, my personality isn't like yours. Of course. You should thank God. <laughs> I don't know a lot about uh, DNA and the profiling thing, but I do know this, that they are using DNA in forensics to find out who did what. Because your DNA is absolutely uniquely yours. So that tells me, and, and, and we already kind of know about fingerprints. Fingerprints was before DNA. And we, we realize, know that we have a unique print. We have a unique DNA set of markers that helps us to realize that God created us individually on purpose and he assigned to us traits that would help and personality and ways that help us to do exactly what he's called us to do. 
Sometimes we spend years trying to remake ourselves to become somebody or like somebody that's sitting next to us. God doesn't want you to be like the person next to you. He created, he went through extravagant measures to make you unique, to make you the way that you are, to design you and handcraft you. It's like an artist took and did a one-off. On, and you are one, we are each a one-off. Nobody else is like you. I can say, well, my son is like this part of me and that part of me, but my sons are not exactly like me. Because God chose them and uniquely handcrafted them to interact with their family, expansion, expansion, their universe in the way that he need or would need them to. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Sorry, Johnny, I'm all over the map again. I've done three quarters of a message from the back to the front. <laughs> Not really. We haven't really gotten anywhere yet. Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. I want you to know that God has created you on purpose. He thinks you're amazing, and he's waiting for you to get on board with him. Amen? Stop wasting valuable time wishing you were somebody else, trying to be something other than who he's created you to be. Now, if you're a mean rascal, you're not supposed to be a mean rascal. That's stuff he's working on. That's the stuff that he transforms us. He said he's made us in his likeness and image. So he's, that's not an excuse to be a mean rascal. But your unique way, the way that you receive information, the way that you interact, some of us are quieter, some of us are louder, some of us are, are, are extroverts, some of us are introverts, some of us are a combination of all of the above, and we're wondering what it is that we are. But even in the midst of that, God has uniquely handcrafted you to be the way you are, to interact with the people that he's going to bring across your life. Today, I want you to be reminded of your value and that you are handcrafted by God, made in his likeness and image and placed on this earth in divinely inspired, impeccable timing so that you can make a difference. Do you realize that there is no one else that is just like you? you. God made it that way. So you would leave your specific print on planet earth in the time frame that you have to be here. So with that in mind, I want you to understand that going forward, you're going to continue. You're not going to start today. You're going to continue to make a difference. If you think that you haven't made a difference up to this point in your life, you have believed the big lie. It's a lie. When you showed up this morning, you made a difference in my life. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been a public speaker or had to preach to a group of people that wasn't there, it's a miserable undertaking. I don't listen to myself well. 
So by being here today, you've made a difference already. This last uh, few, well, it was last Sunday, actually. I did a funeral. Um, Patty Hyland, many of you might know her. She was um, in our church for quite some time uh, when I was here um, before. And she was an amazing lady. And in the process of that funeral, um, we had, I had the role, uh, you know, initially of kind of emceeing the service and and there was a lot of people that were going to talk about her that day. So we just opened it up. Her two sons came, pretty much preached the whole sermon. They stole everything that I was going to say. And uh, so I was glad that a lot of people had a lot to say. They did an amazing job. And, but I kept seeing this guy over in the corner of the room. It was actually her brother and uh, Patty Highland's brother. And, she, and he was very quiet, just very reserved, somewhat withdrawn, Obviously, he's going through a tough time. His, his sister has passed. But there was so much appreciation for what she had done and the life that she'd lived. She was such a joy. Um, and she impacted people's lives so amazingly that it was hard not to get caught up in the good things that were being said. But here he was uh, just a bit reserved. And I thought, well, actually, I didn't. The Holy Spirit just pinpointed that and said, you need to speak to him. Uh, I was like, okay, well, after the service, I think we're going to his house, actually, for, for uh, lunch. She said, no, I, you need to speak to him during. So I was having trouble with my phone. My notes was on my phone, and uh, it just kept disappearing. So every time somebody would get up to say something, I'd be like, God, I, thank you. I got another few minutes to try to find my notes, and I'd be listening. But I was searching for my notes again, and, and uh, they would get done. I'd have my notes, and, well, there was still more people. So I, it just went through this process seven or eight times. And uh, finally, it was my turn. I was, uh, everybody was done. I'd kind of taken last call and uh, no, nobody else. And so I couldn't find my notes. And I, I stalled and I stalled and I hemmed and hawed. And I finally just said, you know what? I just was honest. I was like, I've kind of lost my notes. So um, but I knew that God had said to speak to this guy. So I said, I'm going to start there. It's all I got right now. Um, I kind of remembered some of the stuff I was going to say, so it wasn't that much. So, um, but I knew, I remember that I needed to speak to him. And so I did. I said, Bob, you have been an icon in our town. You don't know me, but I, as a kid, would drive from Hope into Camden and I had to go through, you know, to get anywhere in Camden, you pretty much have to go by the police station. And the, if you're coming from Hope, Lincolnville, Appleton, or whatever, down 105. So I would see um, him there many times, see him interacting with different fires, different emergencies on the roadway. And he always had this bright, shiny red pickup. Um, and on the back of it, it was always, um, even when he changed trucks, he would get those gold letters embossed onto the tailgate of his truck, and it would say, stop, drop, and roll. It was like the fireman's mantra. And I don't know, it just he was just one of those guys that was larger than life. I was just a kid. I love shiny trucks. We didn't have shiny trucks at, at my house uh, at all. Remember some of the cars that my dad had? They were awful. 
Um, I remember this one time when I was learning how to drive, and we had nine kids in our family, so it was like a, you know, we always had like a bus or, or a huge station wagon or something, and, and uh, you know, yeah, it was not pretty most of the time, and my dad wasn't much on image or looks or whatever, so, you know, anyway, we had this 40-foot-long station wagon that I was learning to drive in, and uh, it was one of those old Fords where the, the, the blinker lights came out like a, a wedge, like a point, so they stuck right out in front of everything, and um, I come barreling down, we had this long driveway, and we didn't really ever borrow, bother to plow, we just, you know, would plow through it and pack it down, and it just became like a skating rink in the wintertime, you know, by the time the, the, the winter was moving along good. So anyway, I'm skating down this driveway trying to stop and didn't really give myself enough room, and I plowed right into the corner of our garage with the 40-foot-long station wagon, and um, it just cleaned out that pointy light there, and, and uh, there's the headlight was all kind of mangled, and and my dad didn't even get upset. It's like he didn't even hesitate. He's like, no, no problem, son. We can fix that. And I was like, really? It looked pretty bad to me, you know. He went in the house, got a, an old milk jug, cut the side out of a milk jug, and he screwed that thing on where the headlight was. He said, good as new. Need a ride to school? I'm like, I'm walking. But anyway, all that to say Bob had a shiny truck, and it was amazing. And uh, so I said, Bob, you, you were kind of like an icon to me growing up. I know it's a small town, but you really made a difference. As I saw you kind of everywhere, helping. There's always those, those fire department, a lot of times, he wasn't volunteer, but a lot of times it's the volunteer fire department. They show up at all the stuff that's life and death situations. And, um, and so I said, I just want you to know, I, I, was, I was reading one time and you um, had written a letter to the editor and you defended a guy that everybody was kind of dumping on. They were, you know, treating him poorly and, and um, you stood up for him and you showed another side of the story that, that uh, I hadn't heard, and maybe others hadn't heard as well. And I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. So he kind of looked at his wife, and he was like, kind of like, well, amazing. Somebody saw that or whatever, you know, took notice, whatever. So the funeral went on. We got to the end. I remembered what I could of my sermon, and, and uh, we finished up. And um, I was about to close in prayer, and he jumps out of his chair, and he wanted to come and say something then. And he said, you know, I've listened to all that's been said today. And he said, I want you to know that it was my aunt that when I was a kid, she shared with me the verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I've lived by that my whole life. And he said, it was because of her that I made the decisions that I made to help people along the way. Well, after that you know, service was over, we did end up going to his house and uh, having a little lunch afterwards. And 
It's like he couldn't wait for me and my wife to get there. And as soon as I came through the door, he grabbed us and he, and he took us into this room and the walls were just covered with all these awards and, and things that he'd been recognized for. And he took me to several of those spots and he would tell me the little story attached to it and he would say, do it unto the least of these. You've done it unto me. And then he would say that golden rule, you know, um, and he would repeat that over and over. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And multiple stories. And then we went to the basement. And there was more down there, just award after award. And so as he kind of wrapped that up, we went upstairs and he said, I got one more story. This is like three hours later. Long-winded, worse than I am. And I have seven minutes to finish this. Anyway, he said, a guy came to my, he had a golf station in town back in the day. And he said there was a guy that um, came to him and said, you know, can I talk to you in the back? So he took him in the back and the guy said, I got two bald tires. My car is a wreck. I need an alignment. There's just, I've, it's, I know it's about to fall apart. Can you help me? I don't have any money. I'm working in Augusta. Can you help me? He said, do unto others. So he took his car. He said, I did over $600 worth of work to his car, filled it up with gas. And when he came back, I said, there's a slip underneath the desk here. You just, when you come to make a payment on your bill, just talk to the attendant Tell them where it is and they'll pull out your thing and then you can put some money on it. If you get in a bind and you need gas, just come by, get some gas, and we'll figure it out as we go. Well, um, he ended up, this guy ended up getting a, a, a job offer in Baltimore, uh, down in Maryland, and he ended up moving. But in the process of time, he was able to pay off his bill. Several years went by, and this guy had an opportunity to, he was working for a bank, and the bank was getting rid of the credit card division of their, their bank. They, they weren't going to do that anymore. And so um, here he is just working at the bank, um, but he went home to his wife and said, I would like to have that, that part of the, the, the company, the bank. And she was like, boy, I don't know. Sure, let's, let's go for it, but... We don't have that kind of money. It, was, it would have been hundreds of thousands, I don't know, whatever. Never really set a figure. He went and talked to the bank, and the bank said, you know what? You've been an amazing employee. We will do everything that we can to help you uh, purchase this side of the business. Um, the only thing that you have to do is in 90 days, you have to have provided for a building for yourself to house the call center and all that that goes with it. So 90 days goes by, he secures the call center, and they're in business. The business was called MBNA. Now, most of you know that MBNA was a credit card company that came to Camden and did a bunch of work here, call center in Camden. They took the old Knoxville mill um, and and turned it into a usable space, and whatever. 
regardless of, you know, I don't know a lot. I wasn't here during those years, and I heard good stuff, and I heard bad stuff. That's beside the point. The point is, this guy comes to town after buying this credit card company, does, takes a bunch of old dilapidated buildings and turns them into some really nice spaces, which after they sold out to, to Bank of America, we actually ended up in one of those buildings, the one on, on the Knox Mill building. And, and the church was serviced by that uh, building for like six years or so. And um, long story short, he went back, found Bob, and said, Bob, you don't have any idea who I am, but X and sex amount of years ago, you put tires on my car, you made it so I could get my, my head back up, and he said, I want to offer you a job. And he offered him, he ran pretty much all of the logistics of, not the finance part, but all the logistics of, of the maintenance and all of the stuff that was happening here the construction realms and all of that. It was a lot happening. And so, but he kept saying to me during that time, um, do unto others, do unto others. He knew instinctively that there was more to his success than just he was an amazing guy. He had chosen to follow a path that God created for him and it made a difference not only in his life, but in the lives around me. And it was that morning that just a simple acknowledgement of his contribution passed to a, to a little kid that really didn't matter in, in the grand scheme of things that pulled him out of that spot during his sister's funeral and said, I'm going to open up and share my life with this guy and his wife. And it was an amazing four hours and I think I made a friend that, he's 84, you know, um, but he's, he's, uh, he's, got a lot of, he's got a lot more stories to tell, and I believe that I'm going to hear some more of those stories. My point to this is that you never know when you do the right thing who you're impacting. You never know the influence that that person will have when you believe in them even when you don't see anything to believe in. It's the exact picture of what Jesus has done to each one of us. He's, he knows what we're capable of. He knows what our ability to accomplish is. We just aren't always aware of it. And so he puts it out there and he gives us opportunity to invite him into our life and to begin to transition to a road of, of fulfillment. I have a small story about a soldier that I heard this week on the radio. His, he was in Iraq. His tank was hit by an IED, and it blew up. It caught on fire. He managed to get out, but he was burning to death. He was able to jump, couldn't see. He jumped off the tank to the ground 10 feet down, and in the process, he, he didn't know where he was even jumping. He just was trying to get out of the inferno. And when he jumped, he broke his leg and it severed an artery in his leg, still burning, now a broken leg, has no idea what to do. All he knew is 
Well, Bob had it on the back of his truck, stop, drop, and roll, and he just started to roll. Well, he had no idea that there was a canal next to that roadway, and he, was, and he, without realizing it, rolled into the canal, and there was just enough water in that canal to help put the fire out. Well, this story is kind of a, 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 you know, arduous, as you can imagine, the horrifying recovery and all of the stuff that took place. And eventually they kind of had put his face back together, but he has no ears, his, half of his nose is gone, and all of the reconstruct, and still just a, a, a sight, as you can imagine. And he told the story of going into a restaurant one day, and of course everybody looks, and everybody's, you know, wondering, and you never know what they're thinking, but again, human nature, we think the worst, and, and dealing with all of this inferiority, and all of this, these mind games that you have to play through if going through something crazy like that. And there was this little five-year-old girl that was watching, sitting next to her grandfather, and um, she kept looking at him, looking at him, looking at him. It was, you know, unnerving a little bit, even though she was five. It's just one of those things. And finally, her grandfather said to her, why don't you go over and say hi to him? She's five. She got up and she started walking toward him. And he said, hey, how are you doing? As nicely as he could. But he said, I look like a monster to a five-year-old. So she ran back to her, her grandfather. And what she said changed his life. Obviously, he had been wrestling with what am I able to do from this point forward. His hands are all deformed. You know, his, his body is wrecked. Um, wondering if there was any hope for him, future. But she turned to her grandpa and she said, Grandpa, he's really nice. A five-year-old making a difference in that soldier's life. He said, that was not what I was expecting her to say. And he said, when I heard those words coming from that innocent little child, he said, I felt like there was hope for my future. He went on from that moment, that soldier, and he started an organization called Hope. And now he travels all over the United States speaking to youth, speaking in schools, speaking wherever they will have him, telling them his story of rising from the tragedy of life and being able to contribute even when things couldn't look any worse. All of that began with a five-year-old little girl that saw something in him that he couldn't see himself. How many people are around us every day that they've stopped seeing anything good in their life? They can't see through the clutter. They can't through, see through the mistakes. They can't see through all of the negative publicity that's floating around town. They can't see who God's created them to be because they haven't heard anything for so long that's stuck. And I want to challenge you today that God's equipped you with a message, with a word, with a 
Grandpa, he's nice. It's all it takes sometimes is looking past the the facade, looking past the ugly, looking past the brokenness, and seeing what God sees, the heart of an individual that is ultimately able to make a contribution that's amazing in our society, in our world, in our community, in our region. You are one of those uniquely handcrafted by God people that He's chosen to make a difference in the people that you're encountering every day. Please don't be silent. Please don't, you can't say a double negative, but don't not say what you think to say. Release it. Release it. It's probably a lifeline for the person that he's chosen for you to speak that to. Don't be afraid. In 1860, last story and I'm done and I'm in overtime. In 1860, we're going back a ways now. I wasn't born then. It wasn't until 1966 that I came along. But in 1860, there was a newspaper called the Missionary Alliance newspaper. And underneath their, like their Missionary Alliance heading, there was a always two scriptures that would be underneath the heading. And so I would imagine that somebody was assigned to choosing those two scriptures. Now, I can't imagine, you know, being asked, hey, would you choose the scriptures for this month out of a bazillion scriptures to choose from? you got to choose two. That's a project. And all eyes are on you because everybody that reads the Missionary Alliance newspaper in 1860 is going to see those scriptures and maybe make a judgment on you that they're relevant or not, or whatever pressure that came along in 1960 or 1860. But needless to say, they pushed through all of that challenge and they chose two scriptures to put into that newspaper. Johnny's got the first one headed for the screen. It's Psalm 4610. There it is. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted among the earth. Good scripture. The second one was Isaiah 35:1. And it said, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. Another great scripture. Good job. Good scripture choosing. Fast forward 162 years. And my wife and I are in North Carolina and God's spoken to us to come to the mid-coast of Maine and plant a church. And we're excited about it. And we've been given this old farmhouse that's been in our family forever and like generations forever. It's built in 1800 something. And so we had come up a couple of weeks ahead to do some renovations on this house. Well, we were scheduled to come in June, that was 2002. 
So we're April, May, whatever time it was, and we're up here for two weeks, and we're working on this house, and it's bad. It was way worse than we thought. Those of you that have tackled an old main farmhouse, you know what I'm talking about. It, they're always bad. And I'm supposed to be positive today. But it needed a lot of work. We'll just leave it at that. So we're ripping out laz and plaster, and there's just dust everywhere, and every room is totaled, and my wife is kind of a neat freak. She likes things to be clean. She likes things to be in order. She likes, you know, um, when she comes home at night, if there's any dishes in the sink, she embraces that with gusto, and she's going to make everything order again. I come home and add to the pile. <laughs> We're wired very differently, um, and I won't go into that. So anyway, she has a meltdown, quite honest with you. She is overwhelmed. She's like, this is way worse. We just had built a new house within a few years, you know, and actually, no, during that season, we didn't have the new house. We had the house in Stedman. No, it was. It was the new house in, in I'm like, I got four stories going at once. We did. We had a, a brand new house that we had built, and uh, it was all, you know, the way she liked it and everything. And so here we are ripping this old farmhouse that hadn't had indoor plumbing for God knows how many years. It was bad. She's having a meltdown. She's in the other room. I can hear her crying. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. We're in trouble. We haven't even started yet. And uh, so I went in there, and I did my best to console her, and she's kind of sobbing, and, and she's like, we can't. This is just way too much. This what was you thinking? Can we just get another house? And I'm like, we have, we have no money to get a new house. I know it's bad, but at least it's free. And uh, sometimes free ain't free. And uh, anyway, so we kind of got ourselves back on track there and she stopped crying and she, um, you know, I started clearing debris again. Well, it wasn't very long before I was in the back bedroom and there was this little linen closet in there. And I ripped the laz and plaster off the linen closet. And when I peeled it back, we had been seeing these newspapers and stuff like plastered to the inside wall. And it was just kind of this weird thing. But we hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention. But after that moment, I saw this paper. And it was a Missionary Alliance newspaper. And so I, I was like, well, huh, that's interesting. So I took a closer look. And I read those two scriptures that were headlined in that month's edition of the paper. And it said, I will be exalted among the heathen or the nations. And the desert will come forth and blossom like a rose. So I don't know how you look at that. But for me and my wife sitting there embarking on this seemingly impossible journey, leaving the comforts of our past and launching off into this new endeavor, my wife literally having a meltdown and then me thinking, oh my Lord, what have I done? And God having 162 years earlier 
given this assignment to whomever it was that chose the scriptures for that paper that day. Fast forwarding a few years to somebody that was kind of an old newspaper and they just used it for the backing of this linen closet. And it was preserved for all of those 162 years so that when we showed up and we needed confirmation from God that we had made some colossal stupid mistake, he put it right there in front of us showed us his intention for this region, that he said, I love this place. I've loved it for generations, and now it's your turn. You're the disciple that I've chosen for this group of people that's coming, and you're going to speak my truth to them, and you're going to bring hope to them that I've created you to bring. And you guys are going to see this desert come forth and blossom like a rose. So prophetically placed years before, God gave us the word for that day that we needed to keep renovating, keep pushing, keep moving forward. I said all of that to say in overtime, what is it that God's got in your heart that you think is insignificant, that He needs you to step by faith and just do it, because it may not be right where you are right now. It may not be this moment. It may not be this. It may be a hundred years from now. God will use the words that you say, the things that you write, the spoken things, the, the life that you live, the example that you had, like a Bob Oxton or a Charles Colley or a Brian Carl or a Garrett or a whomever you may be, that God would use your life to the fullest to speak life into a soldier that had given up on hope for his life and his future mattering or caring or contributing to where they got another lease on life and they can go forward for the next season. I want you to know something. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. You have all that you need on the inside of you. The Word of God is resident on the inside of you. I don't care if you just met Him this morning. You have something to say. You have something to contribute. You have a word of encouragement that somebody needs to hear. Can we stand together? God loves us so much. He cares about the intimate details of your journey. He wants you to know that He will go to whatever measures that is needed to get you the message that you will need and it will be right on time. He will provide. He will make a way. He will use you in amazing ways. You say, well, I'm kind of seeing that I'm getting old and my life has kind of moved and I'm gray hair and whatever. I don't care if 
It's the three minutes before you step on a banana peel and you go into the happy hunting ground. God will use those last three minutes. He's got a purpose for those three minutes. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're five. I don't think anybody's less than five. (laughs) God can make a difference through your life. Don't ever give up on yourself. Don't ever say you can't. Don't ever say you're not worth. You are worth everything to him. You are uniquely handcrafted by a God that created you in his likeness and his image. Don't you dare give up on yourself. Don't you dare give up on yourself. God's got a plan for your life. And he's making something beautiful. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this hope, for this promise. We thank you, Father, for the measures that you go through to help us find our way to you. And then the measures that you go through to help us to become what you've destined us to become. And the intricate transformation of our nature and our ways so that gradually we care less about ourselves and more about empowering other people around us to become everything that you've destined them to become. So God, wherever we are in this transformation process, We thank you for loving us in the middle of it. Loving who we are. Encouraging who we are. Giving us what we need to keep going in the midst of every part of our journey. And I thank you, Father, for the encouraging word that your Holy Spirit is depositing in each person right now so that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll dredge up information from 160 years ago if needed to help us to see past the yuck that's right in front of us and to know that you're up to something and it's for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, for the intimate details and your intimate love for us. And it's in your mighty name we give you thanks and honor In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.